Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In Ireland, we love a good story. And I'm lucky enough to be able to chat to people from all over the world to hear their story and to hear about their life in Dublin. In this podcast, we want to be able to learn from the stories of others so that people who have recently moved to Dublin can get the most out of their time here. Um, maybe a couple of Eagles tunes. No, I didn't realize you were a karaoke connoisseur. I love karaoke. I love karaoke. It's so much fun. Uh, like just the fact that you're you're stuck in a room with a bunch of other people, and everyone's going to sing eventually. So you're going to have to make a fool of yourself. But making your fool, making a fool of yourself with enough confidence and a kind of how do I say a a camp flair voluntarily is just just the best way to go about. Ready, Mercury, your performance absolutely you know or uh tim curry isn't it wasn't he in like rocky horror picture show okay rocky horror has some unbelievable tunes yeah you just gotta go go all in and just you know show show them what you got do you have a a go-to karaoke song tom um it would probably be like a country tune i quite enjoy um like mumford and sons music just because i can wail into the speaker (laughs) and it's it's got a a good enough kind of rhythm as well that you're tapping your foot but Mm. the the lyrics always escape me after a few drinks so yeah it does turn a bit nasty freestyling you know it's always the bridge of a song isn't it that like throws the or the mod or the the modulation where the key change and particularly if you try and go like real brave and you go 80s where they have got real big key changes in there 
and it normally goes like up an octave or whatever and you're trying to sing a george michael song that starts off super easy and then you know come the bridge of the song you're just way out of your depth um, freedom, yeah and it's freedom. just it's just at the time as well where people are like kind of like at the start of the song you're like ha, ha, you're singing this song this guy is funny he's, oh, he's a shit singer ha, ha, ha. then you've got the second chorus you're like i'm done with this guy and then he goes into the more difficult bridge um yeah or if you start singing the second chorus and you're like, actually, I only know the first verse. Or, you know, you go into the first, second <laughs> yeah. verse. I literally only know the first verse. I don't know anything else after this. It's like the Stacey's mom song as well. Like, you can always forget the second, second verse of it. And then you're just like standing there awkwardly trying to read it off the state off the screen with your back to everyone. And everyone's just like getting. Here's a question up, yeah. for you. What's the second line of or the second lyric line, whatever? Uh, to Lady in Red by Christopher. So the first first line being, "I never seen you looking so lovely as you did tonight." I'm I'm gonna immediately answer with a I have no clue. <laughs> very, very unsure on that one. <laughs> but it's it's a, such a famous song. Uh, I I know the first line so well. Every, Something that shines so bright. Yeah. Okay. That, that yeah. That one part is kind of easy. <laughs> but after know. that, oh, who knows? Know. Who knows? Yeah, I just remember from Dodgeball, you know, best movie at ever. The end, at the end, when he's like Caesar at the bar, and your one comes over, she's just like the big monobrow. <laughs> yeah, and Lady in Red is playing in the background. Tom, thanks a million for doing the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. Sure um, thing. Great to be on you. Yeah, just to take the time out of your Sunday and, and come here, it's uh, it's much appreciated. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, I I don't know too much, uh, if not anything. Um, so how did you come about to being in Dublin or? Yeah, so um, bit of a bit of a wild one. I was, I, I'd kind of taken a couple of years out before university to, to just go and explore the world. And I was working on a, on a super yacht in Southeast Asia and Malaysia. Wow. And I met some, some Irish doctors. They were mm. really, really good fun. I think the, the Six Nations was on at the time or there was some international rugby. Mm. So we ended up having a few, few nights out with them and then the parents were, were putting it on putting on a bit of pressure saying what are you what are you going to do with your life and i remember saying i think i want to go to ireland it seems seems like a good decision um and so i ended up coming here and studying law and so i've, I've kind of been here ever since um and i must say i've, I've really enjoyed it wow yeah so but like even going back to before the working on the super yacht in southeast southeast asia um where did you grow up so I grew up in a small town about 400 kilometers north of Harare in Zimbabwe. Wow. Um, so it's, it was probably the most northern farming districts just before the national parks all start because obviously in the northern regions of Zim, um, there's the Zambezi River and the escarpment, so there's huge malaria. And so that's naturally where all the national parks and forests and wildlife has been left. So you had this fantastic kind of farming districts where we grew tobacco and maize. And then immediately thereafter, for about 200, 300 kilometers, you just had elephants, buffalo, lion of the lot. Oh so every God. now and then you'd be looking after the tobacco and there'd be all the seedlings planted at the beginning of the year. And like Eland and a lot of antelope love the nicotine. Mm-hmm. And so you would just see these, these wildlife wandering through the, through the crops, eating all the, all the seedlings and you're trying to chase them off. But obviously it's fantastic to have the game there. But the same time you're trying to trying to run a business it's acting like a pest yeah exactly goddamn antelope <laughs> yeah. Hopper, like. all right so this conversation has got quite real quite quickly so <laughs> um 
I can't even imagine what it was like growing up in that type of scenario. I imagine for you it was something normal as as anything else, but um you know it was um I, I suppose compared to 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 the Irish kind of upbringing in some ways it would be similar. I mean I have a lot of friends that are that are from out in the in the country, you know, and it's yeah. It's all like family family of farmers. You you're just trying to run a business or you're trying to help out. Yeah. Um but see Zimbabwe obviously has a, a bit of a complicated past and so I think all, all of that was kind of put to bed. A lot of the commercial farming in the early two thousands, um, there was like a regime regime decision to to take away commercial farms. Um, there's a whole political history behind that. So most of the commercial farmers gravitated to like the the towns and cities in the centre and kind of had to change profession, mm. um, which was like a lot of upheaval. And I mean, when when a country's backbone is is agriculture, mm -hmm. it obviously threw the economy into into quite a downward spiral. I don't know if you've you've seen all the memes about the hundred trillion dollar notes and yeah, I, rem I remember that kind of printing of of money like there was no tomorrow and yeah, uh, <laughs> well maybe even because I'd have a vague recollection of, of what happened there. But from let's say as you said year two thousand until like we're now twenty twenty three, um, is could you give it like a short synopsis of of like what's happened or what's gone on in Zimbabwe from that time? Yeah, sure. Um, so imagine in 2001, you'd had your first kind of hyperinflation in Zimbabwe, and that was largely attributed to involvement in Rwanda in the 90s, yeah. um, the taking of the commercial farms, and then like an opposition being formed against the government yeah. that there previously wasn't. So from about 2001 to 2008, there was, there was quite a strong opposition led against the government, and there was all kinds of elections and recounts, and there was a lot of kind of civil unrest because... The government didn't want any opposition. So it was it was very unstable. We were printing more money than we had. The economy was just running. But by about 2010, 2011, things had, I would say, stabilized rather than kind of reached reached a balance because we, we were we were unstable, but but teetering on the brink. Um, the economy could run at any point. But I think people started using for, foreign um, currency. The opposition had largely been split. So there was there was a number of leaders that had now decided to, to lead their own parties, which mm. shattered the, the opposition that had originally formed. Mm. Um, and so everyone had just given up hope because, I mean, uh, Robert Mugabe, the president at the time, had mm. been in charge since 1980. Mm. And we were now in, in 2010. And I mean, there's, it's only so often that you can say, how long, how long is he going mm. to keep being in charge for? But thankfully, things got, got really bad when his wife started, Joyce um, Mugabe. She was very, very sinister. Mm. And she was wanting to to attack and kill all kinds of different parties and groups. And I think that really kind of galvanized the the leaders within his own government. And so in 2017, we had this fantastic uh, coup. Mm. It wasn't a coup because at, at two in the morning, we had a, a general come onto the national TV and say, this is not a coup. This is just the military taking over the government. <laughs> Can everyone stay in their houses? And everyone said, it's only Zimbabwe where you're going to have a coup that's not really a coup. No one wanted to acknowledge it. Um, and so Mugabe stepped down and we had this new leader step up, um, Emerson Munangagwa. And he's quite a business-minded individual, very kind of intelligent. Previously, he was in charge of the armed forces. So his nickname is the Crocodile, which, 
I mean, it's, it's not really a great nickname. Where did you a, get that nickname? Like, for a benevolent <laughs> leader. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. It sounds like this, like, you know, these, like, comedy, like, dictator movies. Like, <laughs> what kind of name could we give are, them? Are we the bad guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not synonymous with um, democracy, I'll tell you that. Okay. But he took charge. We're all super excited, and then we've kind of fallen back into the same same pot difference too type thing so okay um but it's it, it's a lot better now because i'd say the the civil war was in 1980 so like my generation maybe the generation above me and more so below me have all kind of grown up with with pals across all lines and so there's 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 no more hatred from our end it's it's really the older older generations that were involved in that conflict that still harbor the hatred yeah. whereas i mean at school you you kind of mates with with guys whose parents would have been in the the controlling government who mm. who would be related to all our sons of ministers and whatnot mm. and i mean you play sports with them you're in clubs with them you have the crack with them yeah so um look i have great hope for for where zimbabwe is going but i mean at the moment economically we're not great but tourism wise it's it's definitely somewhere to visit yeah and um, would love to go it's yeah. especially like victoria falls mm. um the zambezi river lake kariba mm. it's just so much to see so much wildlife and because we don't have so many tourists, it's not like Kenya or South Africa where you're going to be sharing, like, the wilderness with fifty other Land Cruisers with mm -hmm. with Swiss Swiss guys and massive cameras clicking away. It's usually you on your own with a guy that's super excited to have have guests for mm. the second time on that year. Mm. How is it in terms of safety? So my, I've got very little experience of of Africa in general, but um, I spent a couple of months in Tanzania, um, and there were just I, at the time, it was, I was like 19, 20 years old. It was a relative, well, no, it was a big culture shock for me. Um, but things like not being able to go out at nighttime, things like just, you know, obviously being careful and looking after yourself and not doing anything silly. Um, but how is it in terms of your general safety and security when you when you go there? Oh, I would say, as with any place, obviously common sense is your, yeah. your biggest kind of factor. And, and I mean, you always hear these stories of tourists in any country coming to to, to horrible kind of ends because they've been a little bit silly. But I mean, Zimbabwe is very safe. It's not like South Africa, which, as you know, is like the rape capital of the world at the moment. Yeah. It's like incredible violence. The, the people are very calm. You can you can walk at night, but again, you wouldn't be walking around with your wallet yeah. in the back of your pocket. Um, yeah. It just means like, think about what you're doing. Don't be silly, yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. That's one of the things we do pride ourselves with. Although we never did take action against the government, or we probably won't, people are very peaceful. Mm. Um, and you can kind of see it across Africa with the different tribes. Like in South Africa, the Zulus would be known to be quite warlike, mm. similar in, in Kenya with the with the Maasai and the Mangati tribes. Um, it kind of lends itself to to how like the people operate. Like, and the majority in Zimbabwe would be from the from the tribe in the north called the Shona. They're very peaceful, very calm guys, very big into agriculture, as in growing um, crops, opposed to looking after cattle. Mm. Um, and the tribes that usually look after cattle. In the south would be more warlike because they've had to be more nomadic yeah. moving their cattle around coming into more conflicts mm. so that's kind of where where their base would be yeah if you follow me um yeah just before i like i have just one curious like curiosity in my mind um just from hearing you speak you're obviously you speak about this very well you obviously know what you're talking about um before we go into more of your story a lot of people are saying that over the next like, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, there's a great hope for Africa in terms of a rising middle class and that there's going to be a big boost in the economy in Africa in general. Is that something that you would share that uh, hope for or how would you see it? 
I mean, you've, you've got some front runners in Rwanda and Botswana, which, which are certainly some of the fastest growing economies at the moment. Um, I think what they're doing that no other countries are doing is they're ensuring that they're exporting everything at good, good prices. I mean, mm. their coffee and um, I think sugarcane as well is, is, is doing really well in the market. So, I mean, in that sense, you can kind of see that there are countries that are trying to do business. There's, there's a lot of investment. Mm. I mean, at the moment, when you see the impact that Ukraine being at war has had on the yeah. European markets, I mean, simply just in milk, even trying to buy whey protein, uh, yeah. there's, there's none. I mean, you can't get creatine. Yeah. And you're suddenly looking at any of the other big cattle countries in the world, and it's it's India and Africa. Mm. So I suppose it, there is going to be a growth, whether it's the middle class is another question, because, mm. I mean, some of those some of those economies is like Nigeria has 121 million people. And much like the rest of Africa, I would say most people are on like an average basic wage of a dollar a day. Um, you may get to the middle class there, but there's no way that they'll be seeing... Um, your average salary of 11 euro an hour middle or, class money for like more developed western countries like exactly yeah but i mean geez i'd be super hopeful that it, that it does become the case yeah yeah i mean we you need to be thinking long term anyways for if you're if you're not thinking a couple hundred years down the line then it's quite a, quite an insular look like africa without a doubt will be like major players in in whatever comes and uh, it's just about empowering people, uh, giving them education and getting them to a level where they're able to make decisions. If that is to have to emigrate a while, for a while to come back, bring back the knowledge and bring back like remittance. Um, but again, with that many people and such a large amount of land to be managed, it'll be a few hundred years. Mm. Yeah. With, with, with successful integrate, not just like saying, oh, we're going to help you, we're going to help you for sustainable uh like country development and sustainable human uh, education like hundreds of years i think yeah potentially I, I, who knows what's going to happen but i think technology could hopefully be a big factor in speeding that up a little bit too um you were on a boat in southeast asia sailing around on some super yacht uh, what exactly was your job on on the boat um so i had somehow um convinced that i was a diving instructor uh, despite the fact I'd never dived before. So I, I'd kind of been walking the docks in Miami a couple of months prior and been trying to get a job as a deckhand, which is quite easy work, spraying mm. down, driving tenders, looking after guests. And I got a phone call from um, a yacht that was based in the Philippines at the time. And they said, are you, are you interested? Can you, can you dive? And I'd said yes and, and went to grass. And obviously the first few dives didn't go as, as planned. <laughs> Didn't, didn't put the right weights in. So some of the guests were plummeting down to the depths. Others oh weren't sinking at all. But it was, no, it was, it was good fun. I, there was a, a couple Zimbabweans on the vessel working as deckhands. And so they, they'd kind of put my CV in the runnings. Mm. And, and so th this was a really wealthy Russian and Kazakhstani family that owned it. And they were continuously going around the world in the yacht. So they would come on for a few weeks. They would fly back and we would, go around. So they wanted to see the Philippines, Palau, Papua New Guinea, mm. all those kind of areas. And then obviously I joined at that point. So I only did the Southeast Asian tour, but the vessel went on to go to Hawaii, Galapagos, up to Alaska, and then just continued going around. Wow. So it was, it was, it was awesome to see, because I mean, we, we did some dives and some sites in, in Papua New Guinea where it was just no, no depth. It was, it was very much uncharted in the true sense of the word. Yeah. You, you didn't know where we could, where we could anchor, where we could sail. Wow. And all of it was kind of, um, the cabin would say, right, so you guys are going to go around here, jump in the water, see what it's like. 
um, let me know what kind of dive it is. Can we take the guess there? Can't we? You other guys, you're going on the beach. Go and take a look there and see see what you're dealing with. You're obviously comfortable enough in the water to be doing this type of stuff. Oh, geez, yeah, I love yeah. love the water. Yeah. Um, thankfully, played a lot of um, water polo at school, so mm, okay. so comfortable Strong there. Swimmer. Right. Uh, water polo being in a swimming pool and out <laughs> in the middle of the <laughs> middle of the ocean are completely different, though. Like, really, like, have, did you have one of those moments where you're underwater and you're just like? What happens if a whale pops up <laughs> and eats me up? Like I'd be freaking out. Even in Irish water, I can't I can't deal with it. It's it's definitely there was a few few times where I did question everything. Um we <laughs> we had done a done a dive between two archipelagos of islands yeah. and I'd say it must have been like maybe ten kilometers between them. And the guests had gone across on jet skis and there'd been two or three of us in the in the tender boat, done the dive and were on the way back and we were midway between these two sets of islands and it was kind of like a channel going out into the pacific and the other end was was back into biak um and the jet ski ran out of fuel on one of the guests so the captain was like you get in the water sit on the jet ski with your radio and i'll come collect you in about an hour so i was like sound 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 that's fantastic <laughs> and and it's, it's obviously not one of those nice big sea dews that you can sit on it's a stand-up so it's it's only about a meter in length yes and and so you have to trade water next to it and I had to keep keep pressing the button to drain the drain the water. Mm. Get in the water, super chilled. I can still hear the engine. Then it's suddenly quiet. I'm thinking, Jesus, this, this isn't a great idea because my radio is going to probably run out of battery this evening oh, if man. no one finds me. Um, ended up waiting two hours in the water. Oh my! And gosh. I kept on a radio and I couldn't hear anyone talking back. There was no chatter. Um, and then then you start thinking about Jaws and that. Yeah, that like the music song, comes yeah, into your head. Stop. Um, but yeah, you, these little feet just like you know, kicking away, kicking <laughs> away. You just there draining the water after the oak. I I would be freaking out. But you're in the middle of the ocean, so it is like at some point you're probably it's either like a quick finish and Jaws just kind of comes and rips you apart, or you're endlessly floating around, starving to death, oh. or getting sunburnt or whatever it might be. That sounds horrific. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a, a life of pie kind of precursor, yeah. but. Thankfully, yeah. Thankfully, I was saved. But I mean, there was there was a number of times when you, yeah. So you came, yeah. After your your time on the boat, your parents asked you. Uh, you you met some doctors, and they said Ireland is great, and you decided to come here. What uh, what were the first? You've been here a long time. Like, uh, what were what was like the first couple of months like? You know, looking back on it now, compared, did you were you? Do you have any idea you're going to be here so long? Or, geez, um, I think. I was firstly very surprised because I, I got here in September and everyone had, had jokingly referred to the weather being like, you're in for an absolute treat, like pack jackets, mm. hoodies. And I'd come from wearing my, my short shorts around the around mm. the garden to to being like super winter, winterproofed. But the weather was actually quite good. Mm. And and the running joke was, geez, this is this is the week of summer. Or this is <laughs> this is the last yeah. week of sun you're gonna get. But I remember quite quickly thinking I, I really enjoyed Ireland. Um mm. Obviously, the first few nights I didn't know where to go, so I ended up going to the likes of Temple Bar and absolutely mm. blowing the budget yeah. on twelve euro pints. Mm. But once I started meeting people in the course and going out, it became quite quite obvious that you're starting to set up a network. And I really enjoyed Irish law. It's it's very good law compared to a lot of other jurisdictions. Okay. So I mean that that definitely was the pull. And I mean in my head I also thought there's no need to be studying Irish law if I'm got to go and practice in another country. And yeah. the most obvious thing is yeah. to to use it here. So mm -hmm. I suppose that was the original 
thought. So you you went in, you did your FE ones or whatever, um, and are, are you working as a solicitor now or? I uh, know. So I'm a qualified barrister. So oh, okay. So working in in crime and and civil law. Wow. Um. So did the the Kingsons exams and the Kingsons course, and then you do a, a year of deviling or a year of pupillage, mm. um, as it, as it's called, and it's essentially. You, you work for free for a year with, okay. a, with a senior colleague mm. and they just throw you loads and loads of work and you try your best not to stutter your way through anything or mm. completely fumble the bag or drop the ball, mm. which is which is great fun because, I mean, you're never going to be part of a murder until you nine or ten years down the, down the way. Whereas yeah. when you're working with a senior colleague, that's the first case you're working on. You're sitting there reading through the transcripts, wow. having the discussions with with the prosecution on, on how you're going to do it, it's it, it's been very very much a, a fun learning curve, mm. but you you do learn to to have a thick skin because, like you you so often go into court and you have no instructions, or any idea of what you're supposed to be saying, and you're just trying to do it on the fly. Well, is, I can imagine that being a really stressful situation. Everyone's there listening to you. You have to sound professional. Like, no, what's the, uh, what's your technique for dealing with those situations? I suppose the, the best advice I was told is, is no one's listening to you. They're, they're either just finished and are busy trying to remember what was said to them or they're about to start and they're focusing on what they need to say. Mm. So there's, there's as, as much as we would all love to be selfish and think everyone's always listening to us, they aren't. Yeah. And so when you are speaking, just, just focus on, on either chatting to the judge or making a point to a witness because that's as simple as it is. Yeah. Get your value across. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Really cool, um, uh, interesting story. What year did this start? So, Russ, you've been here quite a while. Like, what, when did you come to Ireland? So, I think I came in September 2015. Okay. Um, and obviously studied the first three years. Then I worked in a solicitor's firm for about a year and a half as a trainee come clerk, mm. um, which is good fun to see that that side of things. Obviously, it's it's a lot more administrative yeah. based. Yeah. Um, barristers at the end of the line. That's when you have a problem. Because yeah. you need someone to speak for you mm -hmm. in court. Yeah. Where solicitors are more so like helping out with, with contracts and negotiations. And, yeah. Um, and then from there, um, went into the Kingsons and mm. here we are today. Yeah. I have um, a friend who's currently going through it and a couple of others who have gone through it, but it kind of different routes to what you have. One has gone, has gone down the, the corporate law uh, end of things. One is doing, he's just finished his last set. So I think there's eight exams that you do in your FE1. So he's yes. done, he didn't, the first four and he's just finished his second four um but i think he's a little bit undecided as to which direction he's gonna go he's doing the corporate thing at the moment as well but i'm not sure that's gonna be the way he goes with it um but it, it sounds like pretty intense work whether whether you're doing something like what you're doing or uh, what those guys do it seems pretty interesting um it's it's certainly the solicitor's exams are certainly a backbreaker yeah because it's it's mm. it's really huge um, whereas, whereas I'd say the Kingsons exams are just a lot very quickly. You have to hit them all in one in one week. Yeah. So you're just waking up each day going going into exams. Yeah. And you come out and your your head's like Dijon mustard. Mm -hmm. You just don't know what to do with yourself. Mm. But it's 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 definitely the most fascinating, I'd say, profession to be dealing with because you've got such a mix every single day. You're dealing with with people at the very edges of society on a daily basis. Mm. Whether it's it's people in the criminal courts that have been done for for careless driving, and they just the Joe Soap who who works down in the spa, or you're dealing with with high end kind of white collar crime mm. guys who have stolen millions off of mm. off of mortgage frauds or mm. or whatever it is. It's 
it's, it's really fun to be seeing all those different aspects. And it's surprising how much of society is in court every single day. Yeah. Um, From your perspective then, and, and that unique point of view that you have on, on things here, like you, you have your, your finger in the pulse of definitely one as one strong, like, uh, culture with, you'll, you'll have a good idea of what the culture is of Ireland, basically. Um, how do you perceive it? You said like Irish laws and or Irish jurisdiction is, is quite interesting from, from that point of view. But in terms of the culture and what you see, you didn't grow up here. Is there anything that kind of shocks you? Is there anything that you're pleasantly surprised by or appalled by? Um, she said, very good question. Firstly, um, I would say I was always very impressed with the attitude of the general public, of the Irish general public, really. Mm. It's, it's a very happy-go-lucky um, very happy to chat to anyone at any time, mm. um, and like for for the most part, always always very excitable, which which I really like in people, because I mean I've been to countries where they're not as chatty, they're not as easy to kind of open up with. Whereas usually, yeah, you you end up in a smoking area or even at a bus stop, and you could strike up a conversation with someone, yeah, and they, they would be more than willing to joke about yeah. anything, yeah. Um, in terms of working in the courts, it's it's been interesting because on on the one side. Unfortunately, most of the people in the legal profession do come from a certain um, area in society, and that's kind of like a South Dublin yeah. uh, lens to supporting kind of yeah. group. But I must say, it, it has become so different now that there's there's so many other people from other places in in Ireland that are that are in it, and so yeah. you kind of have this nice mix, and and everyone really wants to get involved and and be a part of it. And and yes, there are people that aren't interested in in the justice per se. It's more more so the life the the lifestyle yeah i'd say a lot of people working in the courts are there to try and make sure that things are done in the way that they should be good to know i've known you since 2015 you know you uh, you're friends with my brother and uh you you roger and yourself went off to tanzania for a, a, a little while looking after a bit on the farm <laughs> and uh it's it's strange that such a strange kind of friendship. Um, Roger's my brother. Uh, so it's a, fr a strange friendship that Roger had. And it's kind of one that I, I kind of enjoy because you're such an interesting character and you have, you know, a lot of confidence in your own ability. And uh, you're, I don't think you've ever been kind of, oh, I'm down in the dumps, I'm down in the dumps. But how do you keep yourself motivated, like, to keep doing what you're doing or uh, kind of stay in Ireland or just to like have friends come with you around the place? Like what, what, what keeps you ticking? Like, geez, well, firstly, I'd say Roger's definitely as, as mad and as outgoing as they come. I mean, the, the situation there was, I was supposed to be taking a, a fellow classmate to, to Tanzania to work and he pulled out at the last minute. And I remember calling Roger and saying, any chance you, you free to come to Tanzania for, for two months this summer? We're going to be going to the middle of absolutely nowhere um, and we're going to be working in villages looking after cattle. And he was like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. <laughs> I, I don't have a passport at the moment, so I'll, I'll sort that out before next week. Um, but, but I suppose um, the, the way I've always operated has been a very much kind of go for it and deal with the details later. Because I think most of the time people get very much way laden with, with focusing too much on the things that are going to slow you down from getting there. And when I first came here, I was not at all sure of how to become a barrister, whether I wanted to become a barrister or where I was going to end up at all. 
But I mean, even at this point, I'm not entirely clear. But I, I always kind of found that if you just did things and you were enthusiastic and took opportunities, that they would work out. And to this day, that's that's kind of always worked. Because I think if you overly focus on things, obviously you can become obsessive and, and ensure they happen. But most of the time, you're going to miss the chance to take that small little opportunity that's in the corner of your eye because you hyper fixate on, on getting to A when B could get you there a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that said, I, I still still have no clue what, what's going to what's going to happen next and where I'm going to end up because. So kind of keep things flexible. Don't uh, have, have a goal, but don't be so proud that you won't change it halfway through. Is uh, do you think being that flexible has did you learn that here or do you learn that at home or like how have you developed i guess over the last about eight years i i think i've i've just been fortunate enough that i've, I've got the bounce of the ball mm -hmm. so far um I, I remember finishing uni and going for for interviews and the first law firm i went to i really liked and they offered me a job and i really got along with my boss and then at the end of that I remember saying to him um, over a few pints, I I'm probably going to leave and go the go the barrister route. And he was like, fantastic, I'll help you where I can. And then the ins happened and it was all just completely dumb luck. I never sat down and said, this time of year, I'm going to I'm going to leave here and study for that. Mm -hmm. It just somehow just happened by by I suppose being flexible. But at the same time, I think you, you do have to take take your shots, especially at the moment, I think, because we we coming out of this these lockdowns, mm -hmm. these, these really quiet kind of years. And I think it's very easy to have sat there and kind of felt that the life hasn't necessarily progressed. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not in, in a, in a distance way, but possibly also a direction way. Mm -hmm. you, you're yeah. kind of not sure because you're not really taking any, any steps towards anything. Yeah. And so I think now there's, there's a huge kind of energy around and, and lots of opportunities to go places and see places. And, and so it is a lot easier to kind of buy into that hype and, and go for it. Yeah, there's a lot of people that like, I suppose, who were sat, as you say, sitting in a home, deciding what they wanted to do with themselves. And I think in a way it was it was good for a lot of people. Excuse me. There was a guy there is a guy who's opened up a wine shop just around the corner from where I'm living or it's not an off license. It's more of a wine shop. Um, like I'm not like a wine connoisseur of, of it by any stretch. But, you know, when you go in there and talk to him and like you get his passion for for the different wines and like I don't know I have a clue what he's talking about but he sells you something and he, he'll describe it and you go back to him next week and you go I really like that one I didn't like that one he'll be like thanks for the feedback I really appreciate that based on that I'm going to recommend this one to you comparing that to going to super value you know where you don't care and I think a lot of these businesses and, and things like that have popped up where people have decided to go for it and they're like you know what I'm absolutely crazy about wine I'm going to try and open a wine shop and the unfortunate thing about business is we don't know if it's going to be a success or not, but it's nice to see if people are, they're like really going for it. And I think um, following their, their passions a little bit more for me, it's even something similar with this podcast. Um, you know, there's nothing else in it other than we've started really enjoying doing it. Um, I don't think a few years ago I would have done it. Um, even though I would have liked it just as much, but I, I don't know what it is. Something that's in that sense has changed. Maybe it's my age or whatever, just, you know, trying to, to go for things but I think there is that energy about the place which is great and let's see where where it takes us I think hopefully looking back in 10 years time we'll see some some nice stories and nice things happen, having come out of these these post lockdown years um you 
you don't have much of an idea of where you're going at. You don't seem like the type of guy that has a fixed five-year plan in your head, or maybe you do. No, Chief, that's that's my worst interview question. I, <laughs> I had it recently, and I prepared for everything else in the interview. And Ivan was like, what? Where do you see yourself in five years? And I absolutely crumbled. I fumbled the bag because, I mean, there's 10 or 15 places I'd like to be. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, so I'd yeah. love to go to New Zealand, spend mm. some time there. But at the same time, um, I don't know if you guys know Patagonia down in yeah, South America. Sure. I've always had a huge inclination to go down there mm. and just go and take a look. Yeah. And then also, you know, life's extremely good in Dublin. And I, I kind of love where I'm up to now. And on Friday night, I remember saying to a friend, like, I'm never, ever leaving <laughs> what I'm doing at the moment. I love working in the courts. I love having drinks like this. And so when someone asks you that, it's it's kind of on the basis that life's going to be lateral. Yeah. And it's it's such a, a weird way to look at life. I'm thinking based on a screenshot of right now, where do you see yourself in five years? And it's, well, next week's got a lot of opportunities and I'm not actually going to be making any decision based on, on what, what's going on now. Yeah. Um, is that the answer you gave them or the answer you wish you would? Jeez, I, I gave, I gave such a, a long drawn out watery wishy-washy response. Said, oh, I'd, I'd love to own my, my own company, but I, I still want to work for your company. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't great. But um, on, on a genuine note, my, my sister does architecture in, in the US and we've always kind of discussed wanting to set up a, a green estate in Zimbabwe. So it'll be a, a massive um, piece of land with huge kind of solar panels, um, trying to run our own kind of water system. It'll be huge kind of crops that are all kind of paying for themselves, growing through um, our own kind of projects and then set up schools, trying to invest into that and just try and give something back to to Zimbabwe. And so we've always kind of joked that we don't have any idea of, of what life has to give us, so we have to go out and find it. But when we have found it, to go back and try and use our skills there. And I've always kind of thought, um, if I can, I don't know if you watched that Innocence Project, I think it was Making a Murderer with, in the in the US, there was a whole program yeah. about trying to help people who, who were wrongly convicted. Yeah, I've heard about it, yeah. And I was I was always thought, well, I could go back and I could do that. I mean, in a country where this, there's no human rights, I'm sure I wouldn't mm -hmm. have a shortage of, mm. of innocent parties to help. Yeah. Um, and so maybe not in five years, mm. but maybe in 30 when I can actually contribute. Yeah. That would be something I'd like to mm -hmm. do. Mm. Um, but as, as with anything, you don't know where you're going to end up. You strike me as the type of guy that um, you, you talk about things and, and life and challenges as if it's a very simple thing. It's just like, no, no, it's, as you said earlier on, there's no point in overcomplicating something that's just like i want to get there and, and we'll worry about the, the repercussions of like certain other things later um i've spoken to people uh like that before and one common thing that i have noticed not all of them but something in common is they come from an agricultural background um you obviously grew up on a, on, a, on a farm as you said you worked on a farm i guess you probably at an early age learned the value or the what hard work is we'll say um but maybe you're also a little bit more connected to nature and its simplicity it's not necessarily over complicating things it just needs to be done um yeah i would say that's that's a, a very interesting point to make there's a and i would say it's probably the same yeah but there's definitely a tendency with farmers in zimbabwe to always well, the saying goes we'll make a plan and mm. it doesn't matter what what they're faced with yeah. The response is always, oh, we'll, we'll come up with a plan, we'll make a plan. 
And as you say, I'd say when you're working in agriculture, you're faced with so many shortages of, of goods and you never have anything working at 100%. Yeah. Sure, the tractor needs new oil every single day of the week. Yeah. But it's always like, oh, we'll, we'll make a plan. We'll, we'll deal with that then. I mean, what good is it to worry, worry today? Yeah, like perhaps like we grow up like, you obviously grew up in an agricultural background as well. I, I didn't, but maybe I look, people growing up similar to, to me, we grow up in a, a situation where it's very, there's not too many problems, <laughs> you know, in our day to day, the problems are, oh, it's, it's raining and I have to cycle to school or, you know, generally speaking, mm. you know, and, you know, my family also didn't run a business having an agricultural background, their businesses at the end of the day. Um, so maybe you, you are seeing possibly your parents or whoever family members dealing with problems on a daily basis and how they deal with them. So perhaps you're, you're growing up looking at people because, you know, my parents dealt with their problems at work and family problems were a different type of thing, you know, but the, let's say problem solving things mostly were outside of our circle. Well, maybe you grow up where you're, you're kind of learning, like oh, here's a family member and like he's, as you said, need to change the tractor oil today. Otherwise we're not going to get that done and they don't freak out. They just go and do it. So you might be subconsciously learning that. I don't know. I'm just kind of trying to sort of understand this myself more than anything else, but it could be something to do with it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, we get, we get, uh, I heard a, a good one where uh, you have a chess player from 20 years ago, who's trying to figure out all of these games and learn where the best place is. And then 20 years later, you have the next world chess champion who is just devoured all of that previous information that some others would have worked 10 years to try and figure out. And they're just devouring that information because they're born after they don't need to, they don't need to solve the problems of the past because they've just been solved by someone else. Yeah. So I think, yeah, ha getting more experience and um, get being exposed more to problems earlier on we'll just inherently learn to kind of fix them a little bit more yeah and we don't need to worry about now sometimes you might not be able to use a laminator because you've never been used a laminator in your life or something like that obviously that's a problem that you need to fix <laughs> but it's not um uh, it's not a major life problem that you can't find out more information about your families will talk to you if they're good communicators and mm. i mean you kind of just develop that throughout life those problem solving skills i would say we we, we definitely get getting better um just just across the board mm. just with the the amount of information we have access to um as you said the the way we communicate i think has certainly got better i mean you have people kind of reviewing the the way that the, the parental style in the in the 60s and 70s compared to now i think naturally there's a tendency that we are going to continuously be picking up information quicker and putting aside unnecessary information and whether or not that's going to have a positive impact. Cause I mean, we do kind of need the unnecessary information for everything else that doesn't just require progress, but I, I, I can certainly see it, but on, on a more kind of rounded note, I'd say the Irish are probably the exact same as the Zimbabweans. I mean, the amount of times I've, I've told someone about a issue and they, and they come back with, ah, sure it is what it is, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, what, what can you do? Like, and the yeah. first time I heard that, I, I wasn't entirely sure what to respond with. <laughs> Can't do much. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, it'll be grand. <laughs> yeah, it can get you, it can get you. It's a good technique sometimes. And it's also probably why we have a lot of problems. It's not black. It's like, it's, it's, in, 
sometimes I think we have problems and we're like, ah, oh, sure, that'll be, that'll be grand. Like, <laughs> probably we actually need someone to deal with this as opposed <laughs> to just say it'll be fine. I just don't, I don't think we're listening, to be honest. <laughs> I think we finally, oh yeah, sure, what can you do about it? Like, <laughs> you know, you haven't been listening to the person's problem. Yeah. So uh, it's a very vague answer. But I've had to explain the concept, particularly because I lived in Spain for, for four years and obviously there's no translation for it'll be grand but um, <laughs> well you can say it'll be fine but um that idea it just sometimes it just didn't they in certain situations it wasn't understood mm. you're like what do you mean it'll be fine <laughs> yeah. what are you going to do about it and i was like i'm not going to do anything <laughs> my like, house is just been done <laughs> yeah how can you just say it'll be fine <laughs> yeah. yeah um it's one of those things that you don't even know as an Irish person who's never really thought about it before you don't know what to say you're like I don't know it's just it's gonna be okay yeah. <laughs> um, you're live aren't you yeah <laughs> yeah um is there any like you've been in Dublin now since 2015 uh you, you've gotten through the first initial stages of um overspending in, in Temple Bar where do you we, we spoke earlier in, in one of our other podcasts about our your third place right so you know you have your your home you have your work and then generally people are look to or probably need a third place whether it's a it's a, a gym or a sport or the pub or a cafe whatever um where do you like to um spend time outside of the first two places which are work and home jeez um Probably the gym, I'd say. I'm big into the into the fitness. Yeah, we've recently got a, a housemate who's who's a mad PT. Okay, and so within a within a week, we were quickly told that everything we had been doing was completely wrong, and <laughs> we're going to be injured within a few days, and our diets were terrible. So we we on this huge fitness buzz, and so nice. I I joined this this gym um, on on Cabra on Navin Road in Cabra, mm. and it's it's part of the Deaf Village. Yeah, so it's it's really nice setup. Um, there's like a pool. It's it's one of the good spots, and so especially mm. in winter now, mm -hmm. with the extreme yeah. heating in the spot. Oh, nice. Go and spend a few hours in the evening. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about when you're up in, out in the city? Like, do you any cafes, pubs, or uh, restaurants that you enjoy? Um, so Harkins Pub, Harkins Bistro. Yeah. Um, probably the best, if not second best. I know everyone's going to say, Grave Diggers is is the top Guinness. Mm. But Harkins Art near St. James's is is definitely one of my favorite spots. It's it's very much a, a nice working class pub. Yeah. There's not too much music. In the summer you can sit outside and it's it's a short walk into town. Yeah. And there's a there's an old lad there, I think they call him Bull. Um he's been pouring pines since he was fifteen. Mm. And <laughs> he pours these absolute creamers. So uh, nice. definitely go if you haven't been. Yeah. Where would you where would you guys recommend? Depends really, as you said, on what you really what you're looking for, um, and my tastes have probably changed a lot over the years as well. Um, I depends. Like if if I wanted to go for um, a nice pint of Guinness and like as you said, like a chat with a mate or whatever, I'd go, go to Mulligan's, um, just uh, near Tara Street Station there. Okay, um, that's a nice pub, a nice Guinness as well. I used to love the stag's head. Yeah, I, I don't sad. anymore like it so much. Um, I, I'm not sure if what changed or what happened there, but um, it definitely went up in terms of SEO on TripAdvisor or whatever. Um, and it just lost a little bit of it. It started, started doing food, too much food. 
there's a difference between like doing a bit yeah. of finger food and like an Irish but like no, notions. It, it's not notions. It's it's you're doing too much. Yeah, <laughs> I want to figure what you did before was brilliant. Pause the pint. Yeah, exactly. Um, because it's outside work, uh, it's it's kind of one of those nice places you can just go get get your pint and then go home after one. I just you know that's what I like about it. After one. Well, it depends on what day you go. Like on a Monday, maybe one Monday, one day, Tuesday, Tuesday. Yeah, there's no Wednesday. And then, um, apart from that, also Bose. I don't know if you know Bose. They mm-hmm. do totally Bose. Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, just beside Doyle's there. Uh, also, it's quite close to Mulligans actually. So they're two good spots for a Guinness. Um, and yeah, to be honest with you, I haven't really been going out as much as I used to. Like in the, in the past, I, I suppose I was spending a lot more time. I used to work in the city center, spend a lot more time going out, but um, I'm sticking to my local area these days, becoming a bit of a boring old man. Oh, yeah. um, you were that for a while though. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also went from one extreme to the other maybe. Um, but yeah, that, that'd be my recommendations for anybody listening. Yeah. yeah. I'll definitely have to give um, Mulligans a go. Ah, for sure. Yeah, you love yeah. Mulligans. Mulligans is a nice spot. Nice people too. Um, and yeah, you get an, an interesting mixture of people. You get a lot of locals, lads who've been going there for years, mixed in with a few people coming over from the Irish Times building, um, and a few random just heads in there because there's a big co working space just around the corner now. So see. you get a lot of freelancers and stuff like that going in too. I'm a big fan of Fibbers actually, now that I think about it. Fibber McGee's on Parnell Street, mm. uh, good for Smithics, anyways. And it might not be like Guinness is kind of a but uh, there's plenty of pool, plenty of music, plenty of people to talk to. That's what I like. Rock music as well. Mm. So a live band now and again, which is good. If you were chatting to someone who was thinking about like a friend of yours or whatever called up from, from whatever country and said, like, listen, I'm thinking about moving to Dublin. Um, is there any bit of advice you'd give them before they came here? Yeah, I'd probably say sort your accommodation out yeah. <laughs> well before you land, yeah. Um, but now on a, on a serious note, I'd probably say it can get quite expensive. So cycle around, um, obviously there's, there's easy ways to, to buy good food without having to compromise. Mm. Um, so like shop Aldi and, and, and mm. little and those kind of spots. Um, and then yeah, stick to pubs and stick to pints. <laughs> um, don't, don't be going to coppers and getting that double rum and Coke cause it's yeah. going to set you back yeah. a considerable amount, you know? Mm. I got awful carried away. Tell you this, I got super carried away. Speaking of like you know the effect of of price and alcohol and like what it can have do to you, I went to an event, um, like a kind of work event a couple of weeks ago, um, not really knowing that it was going to be an open bar, um, so that I walked in and it was a talk. So there was like these three guys talking about their career paths and how they got there, uh, these startup tech companies, um. So the guy on the way in, he hands me these two tickets and I go, yeah, you can get yourself a drink at the bar with these. And I was like, oh, great. Um, and I think they must have been expecting way more people to attend than than they originally showed up. Um, so I went back for the third, you know, after the two drinks, I went back and I was like, I'm just assuming I have to pay. He's like, oh, no, the bar is still open if you want to get another drink. And people have started going home at this point. I was like, OK, yeah. So I got another drink. Then I went back again. I was like, it's hardly still freeze he's like yeah it is i'm like i'm gonna be honest with you the barman said this to me he goes 
um i'm really hoping nobody's organized this event is listening because but again <laughs> the cctv camera is out now um he said there's 45 minutes of this bar left open and there's a grand behind the bar um and it was about three of us drinking at this point <laughs> and he's like what would you like to drink and i said well i was gonna have a whiskey he's like well do you want to have like the most expensive whiskey we have and i was like okay <laughs> and he's like do you want to make it a double and i was like okay <laughs> so i had about three of those <laughs> and just blew the drunk uh -huh. like ah oh, terrible like thankfully i made it out of there without making too much of a scene but wow couldn't I couldn't handle the free bar you know it was just one it wasn't expected and then also because three as you double said, whiskeys as well and took you up <laughs> yeah on top of the like pints that I'd had before that um it's just it's funny because alcohol is so expensive that when someone goes it's free even though it's something you know it's stupid you don't I didn't need the the third double whiskey or whatever you never do you never do you I think it. it was the first one that sent me over the edge actually but um it's hard to to get your head around that as an Irish man and say say no. It's like when we go on holidays to Spain and the guy in that they don't use measures, they just pour. One, and you, you're probably like, no, no, that's enough. Two. But your eyes just light up and you're like, <laughs> I can't say no, this guy. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird situation. Um, but anyway, Tom, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's uh, It's been really interesting chatting to you. You've got a cool background um, and you've had great success here as well. So. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me, guys. Really mm. appreciate it. Yeah, I hope if you ever, you know, you, you work your way back to Zimbabwe and do those things with your sister that you don't forget us here in Ireland and you come back and visit. And yeah, it's, uh, I'm sure you've learned a lot here too. Most certainly, I'll yeah. definitely be seeing seeing you guys around on a on a yeah. tall chair in Mulligans at some point in the future. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, Ross. Thanks for everyone to, thanks, for listening. And yeah, we'll catch you next time. Cheers. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.